Amen. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Proverbs chapter 16, verse 18. Just one verse that I think says it all today. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. I'll read that one more time. Pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for your word, for the inspiration of it. May it speak to our hearts and lives in such a way that we will be challenged, that we will be changed, and that we will never be the same again. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we are in this Silent Killer series, and uh, talking about silent killers, we know that there are physical silent killers that are out there, um, things like hypertension, which is high blood pressure, things, of course, like heart disease, and, of course, diabetes and other things that physically um, can, can take us out if we are not careful. And, and those physical things that um, may be going on and we don't even realize it. And so that's why it's good to exercise, it's good to eat right, and it's good to get a, a, a regular checkup and all of those things to make sure things are in order there. But what about some spiritual silent killers? Because, you see, if Jesus told us us that he says the key the thief comes to steal kill and destroy but I have come that you may have life and have it more abundantly Jesus wants us to live a spiritual life that is a life of abundance and and just as those silent killers can come and take away our physical life in that way there are things that can take away our spiritual life and are the abundance that God has uh, made a way for each and every one of us to live in the abundance of. And so uh, we are looking at some spiritual silent killers. And, and so far, the first Sunday, we looked at shame and how so many times shame is that silent killer that keeps us from living into God's plan and, and that, that Jesus took the walk of shame so that we would not have to. Jesus took the walk of shame to Calvary, to Golgotha, to the cross, so that we would not have to live in the shame that our sin and that our shame uh, and that our mess ups and mishaps can make in our life. And so we talked about that. Then last week, uh, uh, last week, uh, Pastor Kim talked about anxiety. And she talked about how anxiety keeps us from living our full life. And, and, but Jesus has said, let's not live in anxiety, but he wants us to live in assurance. And so uh, he said, do not be anxious uh, of anything. Do not worry. And I know that's hard to do, but we can live in that assurance. And Pastor Kim did a great job of leading us how to do just that. And so I encourage you, if you didn't get uh, to see those two or whatever, go back and, and check those out. But today we're talking about the next one. Now, next week we do have one more week of the silent killers, and that's going to be on fear. So fear is next week. You don't want to miss that, especially if there's any way that fear is keeping us from living our life and all. And there's definitely a lot of fear to go around these days. But today 
is the silent killer of pride. The silent killer of pride. Now, pride, we can see example after example throughout the Bible. And then you can even look at secular history and see example after example of how pride has led to people's downfall. It has led to the downfall of countries at times. It's led to the downfall of individuals and leaders. It's led to the downfall of preachers. It's led to the downfall of biblical characters that are there. And it, it's definitely led to the downfall of even some churches at times. And so pride is no respecter of person. It is everywhere. And, and it can be that silent killer. And Proverbs actually says it in verse 18. It says, is pride goes before destruction. In other words, where, is there, where there is destruction, there was first pride. And a haughty spirit, a haughty spirit before a fall. And so pride goes before destruction and the Holy Spirit goes before a fall. And if we are living in pride or we are living in some way with a haughty spirit, it is inevitable if we don't get a handle on it in some way, it is inevitable that that will be the silent killer that can take us down or back us up spiritually from what God wants to do in our lives. And so what I want to talk about today is uh, several things. I want to talk about pride. And first of all, I want to answer this question. How is pride a spiritual silent killer? How is pride a spiritual silent killer? Number one is this. Pride leads to isolation. Pride leads to isolation. Listen, whenever we think that we can handle things on our own, when we think that we can do it all by ourselves, it will isolate us. When we don't, when we think for whatever reason that we don't need somebody else anymore, it will lead us to isolation. And so, it, listen, in Genesis, God made, God creates the heavens, the earth, the seas, the animals, says it's all good, right? He listed all those things and says, this is good. And then, and, and, and then after the seventh, I mean the sixth day, he rested on the seventh day. I uh, didn't forget that. But anyway, on the sixth day, he created humankind. He created all of us. And when God saw us, he said, this is very good. Now, don't get prideful. Don't get prideful uh, that he said that we're very good. Because here's the thing. There's one thing, though, that he says is not good. And this is before he even gets into this whole thing about the tree that you can eat upon and the tree you can't eat upon. He said there's one thing that's not look good. Look at Genesis 2.18. And the Lord God said, it is not good that man should be alone, and I'll make a helper comparable to him. Now, in that point, he's talking about marriage in some ways, but also he's talking about the fact that we were never meant to do this alone. We were never meant to do it alone. That we are called to be together, and it takes each and every one of us to help each other to make it. And what pride does is says that I don't need anybody else and that I can do it by myself, and it will lead us to isolation if we don't watch out. 
Why is it that Adam and Eve, after they did the first sin, you know, whenever they ate of the fruit, um, the first thing that they did, they isolated themselves from God. They hid from God. You remember? They were, they, all of a sudden, they realized they were naked. They, know, they knew they had done something wrong, and, and they were ashamed. And the first thing they do, they hide from God because pride always leads to isolation. Number two is this. Pride also places ourself over others. Pride places ourself over others. Now, I'm not talking about self-esteem. We all need self-esteem, and we all need to understand that we're created in the image of God, that we're very good, that we're created in His image, and we need to understand that we have possibility for, that gives us possibility of what, and purpose of what God wants to do in our life. But here's the thing. We cannot let, allow our self-esteem to somehow make it where we think that we are better than somebody else. Now, I know sometimes there's been things that's happened to us in life that definitely made us feel like we were less than other people. And for whatever reason, if we don't watch out, those things can make us want to feel like we're better than other people. In other words, our insecurities can make us want to be better. But here's the thing. I, I remember I was like in the seventh grade, and all through elementary school, most of elementary school, I was in this program called AG. Now, that, I think now they may call it AIG or something else, but it used to be AG. And, I mean, you're talking about separate, uh, make, making somebody feel set apart or whatever. It was called AG, which meant academically gifted. And I was, in, I was in AG. I was in the academically gifted and, and group and, and at our school. And we got to, you know, do, we got to be pulled out of class and do some things sometimes and go on special trips and all of that. And it was cool and all. Well, seventh grade, we took this, uh, well, we would take it almost every year. It, it was called the CAT test. Some of y'all may remember taking the old CAT test, California Achievement Test, of course, from California, but anyway, the thing I should, but but um, but but uh, it was the cat test, and and I remember taking it, and I was not good at standardized tests. Man, give me a essay, I could write that thing all day long. But as far as a, a standardized test, I just was not good at it. And and that year, I just did not do good on that test. And guess what? That year was the year they were using those tests. Even though my grades were good, they were using those tests to determine who got to stay in AG and who didn't. And guess who got kicked out of AG? Now, if it would have been this big school with a big group, you know, with like 100 students or whatever and 10 or so get kicked out, it wouldn't have been that big a deal. But, I mean, it was like 10 of us in there, and, and I was the only one that I remember that got kicked out. And it didn't help matters that the AIG teacher was a neighbor and decided to come around and hand deliver my letter at our house. Not that I'm still bitter about it or anything, but... <laughs> But I'll tell you, it was those type of situations that, that really made me more competitive, I mean, in some ways. And that can be helpful in a way, but it also led me sometimes to really enjoy it whenever I did do better than somebody else. And if I wasn't careful, it actually led me to think I was better than somebody else. And I can still, that, that old thing of pride will still hit you even years and years after that. Because there's times, listen folks, we, we brought in like 40-something new members here this year alone at Pine Valley United Methodist Church. And that is awesome. 
But I don't need to allow that to make me think that somehow that we're better than some other church or we're better than some other preachers, even though they say stuff on Facebook that I think is crazy. But anyway, uh, you know, I, but I cannot allow, I cannot allow, we cannot allow those things to make us believe that we are any better than somebody else. And pride will do that. And if we ever start making it about us instead of making it about God, then we will start falling into that temptation of setting ourselves higher than others. And then last, pride destroys relationships. I'm going to go ahead and tell you, pride destroys relationships. Listen, when we don't think we really need others, or whenever we put ourselves above others, or when we don't think that we are ever wrong, now, I'm going to go ahead and say if that... If that person sitting beside you, do not turn right now and look to them. But if we don't ever think we're wrong, then it's going to hurt a relationship. Listen, you can see it, it not only our relationships with each other, but pride is what messed up our relationship with God in the first place. Look at Adam and Eve, and in the story in the garden, God says there's one tree that you cannot eat from. Don't eat from that tree. You have all these other trees that you can uh, eat from all day long. And look at Genesis 3, verses 4 through 6. Look what happens here. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. See what the temptation was for her? The temptation was, ooh, I can be my own God. I can be like God. And that's what pride says. And that's what breaks our relationship with God. And then, look at what it says next. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate and then she also gave it to her husband with her, and he ate. Now, I'm just going to go ahead and tell you, the Scripture really makes Adam look pretty dumb. You know what I mean? Because, like, she's tempted, and she's tricked into eating. She just turns around and says, here, eat this. And he's like, and I'm good. That's just like a man. You know, food, a couple of other things, and they're good to go. You know what I mean? So we won't get into the other things. But anyway, Genesis but look, here's the thing. Then it led to blame. Pride always leads to blame, and that's what hurts relationships as well. Because then, after God confronts them and says, uh, what did you, why, why'd you eat? Look, look at what he says there in verses 11 through 13. And he said, who told you that you were naked? Have you eaten from the tree of which I commanded you that you should not eat? And then the man said, the woman whom you gave to me. To be with me. She gave me of the tree and I ate. So here's Adam blaming Eve. And Adam's even getting worse than that. He's blaming God. He said, it's the woman that you gave to be with me. It's her fault. And then look, Eve turns around and says this. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? And the woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. So Adam blames Eve and God, and Eve blames the serpent because here's the thing. Pride continues. It is a cycle of blaming everybody except ourselves. And when we are continuously doing that, there's no way for a relationship to prosper.
So what weapons do we have against pride? There's two I want to talk about this morning. The first is humility. The first weapon against pride is humility. The opposite of pride is humility. This is when we decrease so that Christ in us can increase. It's whenever we decrease so that somebody else can increase. It's that woman that Sherry sang about a while ago that walks in and washes her hair, washes the feet of Jesus with her tears and with the perfume from the alabaster box. She comes in and she humbles herself completely in such a way. Listen, James chapter 4 verse 6b says, God resists the proud but gives grace to the humble. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't want God resisting me. I want God's grace. And it's humility that opens ourselves up to the grace of God. In any relationship, we need to have humility. We need to have humility to, to admit when we're wrong, even when we might be the one that's a little bit wrong. I love Perry Noble showed a graph. I, didn't, I don't have the graph, but it's just a, it was a pie graph, and it said it had the 80-20 rule, and, you know, that goes across a lot of different things. But he showed that graph, and, and it had a pie, and there was 20%, and then there was 80%. And here's the thing. He says sometimes we may be in a relationship with somebody, and that relationship has been uh, tarnished, or that relationship has tension, or that relationship has been broken in some way, and and maybe we're only 20% at fault. And maybe the other person's 80% at fault. But he said, here's the thing. Humility says that I'm going to go and I'm going to apologize for the 15%. Whether, I mean, for the 20%. Man, my math's getting bad there. I'm going to apologize for the 20% whether the other person acknowledges the 80% or not. That's humility. Because he said, listen, he, he, he said, if I'm so concentrated on the other person's 80%, that turns into condemnation. But I need the first. Now, if I'm the person with 80%, then I need to be humbling myself and, and be apologizing for that as well. But hey, sometimes that's never going to happen. And so even if you're the person with 20%, humility says, I'm going to... Do what I can to repair this relationship. And you will be amazed. You'll be amazed at what God can do even with our 20% of saying we're sorry for. Because it involves humility. Listen, Ephesians chapter 4 verse 26 and 27 says this. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. It says, hey, you're going to be angry sometimes. Any, any of y'all that heard the Krispy Kreme story the other day knew I was angry. All right? I went back and apologized. Of course, Lord, I heard that it closed down a couple of days later. I said, Lord, have mercy. I, I ran the last employee off, I reckon. But anyway, no, she seemed okay. But anyway, but... But it says, you're going to be angry, but do not sin. But do not sin, and do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give a place to the devil. Because here's the thing, folks. Every day that we're angry, 
Every day that we're stewing about it, every day that we're not getting it straight, it's taking spiritual time off our life. It is. And maybe you've thought about somebody as I've been think as I've been talking, maybe you've thought about a family member, maybe you've thought thought about a coworker, maybe you thought about a, 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 a old friend or an old spice, or not spice, old flame or whatever it is that you just need to get, you need to that you you just need to settle something with. And there's a good chance if somebody's name came to your mind as I'm talking, that that might be the Holy Spirit saying, "Yep, you need to you need to set that straight. You need to say, hey, look." I'm sorry, and I don't want to go another day without getting this right. And it takes humility. It's not easy. It takes humility. But don't let another sun go down on your anger. And then the second is this, and closing with this one, surrender. Surrender. James chapter 4, verse 7 says, Therefore submit to God, Resist the devil and he will flee from you. And submit means surrender. And that's not easy to do. And pride keeps us from doing it because pride says, I want to be in control. I want to take care of this. I want to do it. I want to handle it. Pride continues to tell us that we can do that whenever really we need to surrender it to God. And I know that we're in a society now that says surrenders weak and surrenders terrible and we can't surrender to that or we can't surrender to let, let me tell you something when we wave that white flag to god it's one of the most courageous things that we can do i remember it was over 18 years ago that our oldest child elena was born and she uh she came into the world about seven weeks early and was tiny, and, and she um, was in the NICU for a little while, and we camped out after Tina got discharged. We camped out in the, uh, in, in the waiting room there, and, and folks would come by and bring us food, and that was so awesome. They brought us food, and anytime y'all want to bring us food, you can do that. But anyway, uh, and anytime. But anyway, but, they, but it, it was... You know, and we had a great church family up in Bladen County that, that did that and took care of things. And, and um, we finally brought her home. And whenever we got ready, I remember us putting her in the car seat. Uh, and she was still tiny, about four pounds and 12 ounces, I think, when she was uh, coming home and put her in that car seat. And it looked so big and she looked so small. And I remember driving her home and but here's the thing I, I felt okay because I was in control I mean I had the wheel I was in control Trinity my youngest whenever we took her home I, I had control but then 16 years after Elena was born she got her license and there was a point I had to surrender the keys over to her and I'm just going to go ahead and tell you that wasn't easy that wasn't easy at all and I know it ain't going to be long before Trinity I had to surrender the keys to her as, as well because it's hard whenever we know that we're not going to be in control 
and, and you know, here's the thing. I think, you know, a lot of us, I, you ever seen that, that, that bumper sticker that says, God is my co-pilot. And I think that's nice and all, but I think it's wrong. I don't want God as my co-pilot. I honestly believe if I'm going to live my best life for him, then he has to be the pilot. I love Carrie Underwood's song, Jesus Take the Wheel, but let me tell you something. We don't need to be letting him take the wheel just when we're in crisis. We need to be giving him the wheel every day of our life and let him drive the bus. But it takes surrender for that to happen. So this morning, whether, whether you're here this morning and there's an area of your life or maybe there's a person in your life that you have to surrender them to God, you have to say, Lord, I've tried to control this situation, but I can't and I'm surrendering it to you right now. Or maybe there's somebody that you need to find some humility and go to. Maybe you need to call them or text them this afternoon. Whatever it may be, it's time to let go of the pride. It's time to let go of the pride and let God work whatever way God needs to work in us let us pray Lord we thank you we love you Lord we're here this morning knowing that you want to do so much in our lives if we'll just let you and so Lord today maybe there's some that know that there's somebody maybe it's somebody that they've had conflict with and Lord and and They've just done the 20%, but Lord, Lord, I pray right now, God, that you'll help us to not let the sun go down on our anger. Maybe there's others that's done the 80. Lord, and maybe we're realizing that. Lord, that we'll get that right today with that person as we prepare our hearts for true revival, Lord, and that's what it'll take. Lord, maybe there's some of us, Lord God, that there's an area in our life or somebody that we've been trying to control and we just need to surrender that person. Maybe it's a child, maybe it's a, a, maybe it's a family member, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a spouse. Lord, we just need to surrender that person to you. Let you have the will, not just in crisis, but let you have the will all the time in our life. Lord, I pray that you'll help us to do just that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.